from Ramathaim, a Ziphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Ziph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was Hannah, and the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from the town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever they came for Arcana to sacrifice, when the day came for Arcana to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the lamppost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they rose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and we will live, he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, had, had told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord <coughs> has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for the whole of life of his life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So for one of our moms to read the scriptures this morning. 
With them ringing in our ears, let's pray before we come to God's word. Lord, thank you so much for our worship today. As we've contemplated, Lord, on your greatness, Lord, the intimacy of our worship, Father, the fact that you are able to turn all things uh, for good, for those that love you and are called according to your purpose, for those that are saved, those that are believers, you can take the most, most, the most um, heart-wrenching of circumstances, Lord, and you can use those for your glory, and you can ultimately bend them for our benefit, Father. Um, I, I pray for each uh, mom in this room, um, and I pray that today would be a huge encouragement. While I, I pray that, Lord, I, I pray that this text would be an encouragement to all that hear it, because the, the truths in it are, are not particularly only for moms. And pray, Lord, that you would make our, our church family strong through these words of a narrative passage. Um, thank you for these events that happened in history that we can learn from. Thank you for the record of them in Scripture. And Lord, I pray that our fellowship and our worship in the Word today would lead to our uh, being more, made more like Jesus, our purification, and our comfort. Lord, it's uh, the main thing I pray for, that you would wrap your arms around us this morning, that we might know um, that you are sovereign in all circumstances, and that we can trust you, Father. So build trust in these moments of preaching. And I ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, I also want to just echo as well a, a very happy Mother's Day to everybody, especially to the moms that are here. And uh, I hope that you'll take time today to recognize God's grace to you, especially if you've been given a godly mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, somebody in the previous generation that has been a mother to you, even fulfilling the role of motherhood, even if it's not your biological mother, um, I pray that today would be a day that you would recognize that and honor that and express your appreciation. Um, I want to just tell you of two events before we jump into the passage because I want to just think ahead a little bit. Uh, next Sunday night is a usual, normal monthly communion service, but uh, something of a special service happening that night. We're going to be meeting in our brand new um, upstairs room, which has just re recently been renovated, and we want to launch that room uh, next Sunday evening, so please just save the date. Uh, a communion service of a difference. We're going to meet around a meal. Um, it's going to be a soup evening, and so maybe I'll just share this right now. If you feel like you can donate or make a soup for us that night, we'd be looking to anybody that would like to make their famous soup. Uh, bring that along. Let the church office know that you're bringing it. And we're going to have bread and soup that evening, and around the table, we're going to remember the Lord. So it'll be a, a communion service of a difference, some worship, and a brand new venue. Then um, Comrades is coming up, Comrades Marathon Day, and so I want to make you aware of the fact that traditionally, the evening service on Comrades Day is a joint service, various churches coming together. This year, we are meeting at uh, St. Mary's at the school, and Brian Barnes is going to be leading that service, the pastor of uh, West Point um, Church. And uh, I just want to let you know about that. But on the morning, it's an uprun, and so we're planning a church event to have breakfast together. This is for the whole church. So come and park here, invite your friends, invite your family. It's a very, uh, it's a perfect event, actually, to bring folk onto our campus that wouldn't usually be here. Bring them onto our campus and um, use the back entrance. We've, we've been doing a lot of work in the back side of our church here so that you can have access to the race um, route, which is right on our border here. And we're going to set up tables and gazebos and scuttles, and our men are going to go crazy cooking breakfast. So stay tuned for some more details, but please save the date. Service time will be as usual. We'll just slip in, 
have our service worship time at 9 o'clock, and then if you want to return to the race, the rest of the day is set aside for you and for fellowship as well. So those are two dates for you. Mother's Day. What a perfect day to launch a brand new series in First Samuel. Did you notice that? God has given us a, a wonderful passage to consider on the special occasion of Mother's Day. And I've entitled this message, Modeled Mom. Not Model Mom, but Modeled Mom, because um, I want to capture the idea of somebody who's been sculpted, somebody who has been formed and shaped and fashioned and developed by God, and God has done this work through the circumstances of her life. Um, I'm not going to take time, which I would normally do starting a new series to unpack some of the context of the book. We will have time in the next weeks to really build a solid, solid context to understand and interpret and apply God's word through, um, as we work through this, this uh, book of scripture, the, the whole book, First and Second Samuel. Won't do them both together, but we will, um, we will at time do both together. And... Um, just want to let, mention a few things. There's some big transitions in the book that um, are worthy of mention. The worship place from Shiloh to now being Jerusalem and the idea of judges now moving over to monarchy. These are things that I'd like to just whet your appetite with. You can go and study those in your own time and get the background if you'd like. But I want to dive into the idea of motherhood really quickly and just say that um, this, this text is not gender specific. It is not specific to the role of motherhood, but it really is one that mothers can identify with. And I have been praying so hard that God would bless you this morning. So mom, listen to these points, okay? For you, take out your pen, take out your journal. Write in your Bible if you wish. I wanna encourage you to do that. Um, Keep notes, get the sermons that are being recorded and and make this a journey of of weeks where you grow in God's word. But for the moms that are here today, um, be blessed. First point I wanna make is, mom, remember, you can still trust God when all you feel is sorrow. I don't know if you've been like that, but I, I, I want to just go ahead and just say that I think most, if not all moms in this room have been at a place just like that, where it's not just some sorrow, but it seems like every possible category of life is just buckets of sorrow when it comes to parenting and motherhood. And so knowing a, a mother firsthand now, my wife, and experiencing that for the first time as uh, I have my own children for the first time, And witnessing this in the lives of many moms, um, be blessed by this. Know that you can still trust God when all you feel is sorrow. I want to reel you in because some of you are thinking, well, it's not that bad. Um, Those that have not been a mother, not that bad. Let me just paint a picture for you. Some moms have lost children, maybe even here today. Some have lost their mothers. Some have had their hearts smashed by their children, by children that are living rebellious lives, by children that have made very, very bad choices by children that are walking far from God, sin in their children's lives that have led them to fantastic, uh, big and bold successes, sin that have led them to success, and sin in other cases that have led children to absolute despair and left children destitute. Both cause mother um, extreme amounts of pressure and stress. Some moms wish that... um, Well, some ladies wish that they could be moms. Let me mention those. Wish they could be moms just like Hannah, but can't. Some are moms that live very far away from family. And there are many of you here this morning. Um, Obviously, the the other is true as well. There are children here with moms very far away. Some have added burden of mothering children with special needs. Some have the stress of balancing career and home life in one. Some are single moms. 
Some moms are the only believers in their whole family. Some are mistreated, um, like Hannah herself, and this is a, a really chair passage for moms to get a whole lot of encouragement by the witness and the testimony of a mother who was mistreated. Some have regrets. Some moms are always worried. They cannot stop worrying about one thing or the other, and this is a regular and daily occurrence in their lives, constant anxiety. But let me just tell you this, this passage is for you. This passage is directly for you. I want to take a little aside and say, uh, just on the side, it is okay to feel sorrow. It's not okay to look at the passage like this and say, well, I must somehow, you know, pluck up the courage and become, you know, bolder and more, more um, full of myself and find strength within to now rise above sorrow. No, it's okay to feel sorrow. Jesus did, but be encouraged by the Hannah story. You can still trust God when all you feel is sorrow. On the surface, uh, this family was a well-to-do family. You got Alcana, you got Hannah, you got Penina, and you got all the kiddos. And as a holistic picture in this context, uh, looking through lenses from the outside on this family, you would say, well, they're pretty well off. They've got it all together. They are respected and they are envied by most in society. If they were in the village, the village would be in awe of this family and wish that they could be just like the Smiths or wish like they, they could just be like the Joneses or something to that effect. But behind the scenes, at home, under the surface, through what the Bible teaches us of family life here and shows us of family life, um, what we find is just, like I said, buckets of unhappiness lurking in the family. Hannah was, it seems, Elkanah's favorite, but unable to have children. Penina wanted to be the favorite and had daughters and sons and used this, it seems from the Hebrew, regularly to irritate her, kind of like at the, at the family, you know. Um, so, Hannah, how, how's it going there with, you know, preparing to have a baby or, you know, the talk among children and family, you can just try and imagine the conversations around family gatherings and how this could have been pressed, this nerve could have been pressed in conversation all the time. And this was home life, not just for a short season. The Bible says for year after year after year, Hannah experienced this kind of pressure. Just one more little aside, I'm going to take a, one or two of these rabbit trails when I can because of this application is so great. If Elkanah had lived according to God's original purpose for marriage and design for marriage, uh, which was a monogamous, one wife for life plan of God since Genesis uh, 1 and 2, the whole Adam and Eve design of God for marriage, there would be no problem here. So it's not like we have you know, polygamy in the Bible and we see you know, examples of it so we can just include it in our understanding of culture. No, no, no. If Elkanah had stuck to the design of God, the ultimate purposes of God for marriage, monogamy, there would be none of this problem. But he drifted from that, as so many did. Um, Hannah had every reason to distrust God. She finds herself in a place where, um, yeah, she is barren. That would be one thing. But beyond that, there's now another woman in her space. And uh, if you study that dynamic and, and observe that dynamic, uh, it's extremely difficult. And all her kids are a constant reminder, this other lady's kids are a constant reminder of her inability to have children. And this is probably the, the, the worst thing. I've been praying. I've been living a righteous life. I've been following God. And God is not coming through for me. And that might be how you feel even this morning, not maybe particular context, 
But generally, you feel like, I've been begging God for some kind of help and some kind of relief, and God's not coming through for me. But he was. That's the beauty of Scripture. We can, we can hear a story, but the Scriptures record details to teach us the theology behind the scene. And the scene is one of, you know, this frustration at home and unhappiness and sorrow. But behind the scenes, God did care. God was hearing every single prayer. And that's unfolded later in the text. God's sovereign plan was blooming. God was teaching. God was equipping. God was shaping. God was polishing. God was preparing. God was fashioning. God was building in the middle of the sorrow. And that's what we just see in the text. It's a Romans 8, 28 Old Testament equivalent. It's that text I mentioned in my prayer. It's God's ability to take very tragic circumstances in the life of a believer only and manipulate those things sovereignly for his glory and for the benefit of that believer. And this is happening in the narrative passages. The theology of Romans 8, 28, which we grab hold of, found in the actual events of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this is what God was doing. And this is where he brought Hannah. Hannah had to be brought to a place of dependency. She had to. Hannah had to be desperate to lean on God only and fully. Hannah had to repent of her poor opinions of herself. Hannah's prayer life had to be reinforced to a not just a little mumble, you know, before you go to bed or a little, you know, line or two before grace, a little desperate cry to God. No, it, this had to become a fervent, reinforced, passionate petition. And that happens over time. And most of us would agree that it happens through sorrowful events to learn these lessons. Hannah had to become less, meaning she had to become a servant of God. Hannah had to learn perseverance. Hannah had to learn patience. Hannah had to be sanctified to become more like Jesus, to be made holy and to be made godly. Hannah had to wrestle with anxiety and she had to ultimately win. Hannah's faith had to be made strong. She had to discover that godly people still suffer and experience sorrow. Amen? That still happens. Even after you come to the Lord, Hannah had to become a fervent worshiper, not just a, you know, a casual singer, but a fervent worshiper. She had to become a generous giver. She had to learn the priority of eternal things. She had to learn to ultimately trust God. Before the explosion of God's plan that opened her eyes to the sovereignty of God, that's meaning her you know, conception and her pregnancy, before that um, event, I think she was still somewhat blinded to what God was doing. And hence, finds herself in this position here, growing and being polished by the Lord. God's sovereignty, what a thing. You know, God's overruling of all events for his glory and for our benefit. Her sorrow sorrow was necessary. And these seasons of sorrow before understanding God's purpose were necessary. So that she would go to um, to, to Silo, desperate, to make a big, ugly scene in the temple. She had to be brought to that place where she would be so desperate to cry and to mouth prayers openly, to be considered by the local priest to be, uh, to be drunk. And that's a pretty big scene there. That, that's the place she had to be brought to. Her sorrow was necessary that, she, that it would get Eli's attention. This is all important, the details of the text. That the priest would 
which was the most influential leader of the time, would get the attention of this person causing a scene during the prayer time. The sorrow was necessary to make the vow, so that she would make a vow that would ensure that Samuel would return back to Shiloh. You see, God was raising up a leader to be a new leader, a raised up man of God, and it had to happen in the public view to later become the leader Israel was desperate for. And the book will unfold and teach us all these things. But at the moment, all we see in our blindness is the sorrow, the sorrow of the pain. Mom, remember, you can still trust God when all you feel is sorrow based on a passage like this. My advice to you is to submit, submit to what God is doing in the pain. Submit to what God is doing. Repent where there's sin in your life that's exposed by the Holy Spirit to turn away from that, to, to, to repent and to be fashioned. Put yourself in a position where you can be fashioned by the Lord. And may I just throw one more little application in there. While you wait for that explosion of God's plan, I'm sure, you know, at some season in life we'll look back, if not now, and definitely in glory, we'll look back and, and, and look at the, the beautiful thing that God has been doing through the most awful of times in our lives. Until that moment, the advice from Hannah is to pray. Don't stop praying. Don't cease to. I just found it interesting that you've got to, obviously, you can't turn to Penina. That's your big rival. Can't turn to your husband because he's got care for you, but he's missing the mark in terms of a few things at home. We'll, we'll see some of that unfold um, in weeks to come. Uh, you can't turn to your pastor. Eli, he hasn't got it together either. I mean, he's not really in tune with what's happening. He's got his, you know, sons that are doing bad things in the temple, and, and he's not really focusing. He doesn't even know what's happening in her heart, considering her to be drunk. And meanwhile, she's having the most spiritual of experiences. Can't turn to the pastor either. So where she finds herself turning, her Lord, her Lord. Mom, keep turning to your Lord. Keep turning to Jesus. And may your prayer life continue to be strong and faithful in times of sorrow. So, mom, remember, you can still trust God when all you feel is sorrow. The second point I want to make is, is this. Mom, remember, you can still trust God when you don't have all the answers. And I'm particularly referring to answers of prayer. On a, a regular pilgrimage to Silo, the house of the Lord, um, things got really, really bad between Penina and Hannah. We find Hannah weeping, her pain is so intense, it's, it surpasses her hunger. Um, that's hard for me to believe, being a, a lover of food. But uh, uh, this is the reality. She, she didn't have any taste for food. This is how deep her sorrow was. Her husband tries to help, but he kind of ends up making things worse. She separates herself and approaches the one who is her Lord, like I said. And her approach is one of passionate petition. It's marked by fasting. It's marked by praying. It's marked by vow and commitment. I mean, this would, these are some factors about prayer that we can learn from here. I just want to make one more little rabbit trail here and say, um, so passionate that others would consider her to be undignified. Just a little side note. Eli thought she was drunk. Uh, don't get phased about what other people think of your expressions of your prayer and your expressions of your passion for God. It might be something vocal, like a prayer. It might be something in action. It might be an attitude and a, pos a position or an opinion, uh, a passion of your heart. Uh, don't, don't be phased by that. One day, the day would come where Eli would have to hand over the baton that was heading to his own sons. He would have to give that to, to 
to, to Samuel, to Hannah's son. And uh, we'll look at those moments and, and be reminded of the time that he considered her to just to be a drunk in the temple. Um, I, I just, um, I think that Eli's wish on this occasion, just thinking about that prayer one more time, I think that his wish would be at, on that occasion that he would have been more himself, this is the pastor of the day, that he would have been more like Hannah, more passionate about private Christianity than public Christianity. That's just my little thought. And we'll look at that later when we consider Eli. But um, don't be phased by what people think, think of your passion for the Lord. Be blessed that the outcomes of her prayers here were leading to, to blessing. God would grant the requests of Hannah just as she had asked. And notice that effect. Under this point here, even when we don't have the answers, she is faithful to pray and the outcome would eventually happen. She ate, look at this, she ate, came into the temple, not even keen on any food. She's so overcome by, you know, depression. Let's call it what it is. Sorrow, despair. These things are gripping her when she comes in to face the Lord. But the Bible says she no longer has a face that is downcast. Her face is no longer sad. Now, she hasn't received the answers to her prayers yet. But the Bible made plain, verse 8, that she was sad. In verse 10, that she was deeply distressed. In verse 10 as well, that she was weeping bitterly. In verse 15, she was troubled in her spirit. In verse 16, she had great anxiety and vexation. That's the person we are dealing with. And then all of a sudden, her face is no longer sad when she rises from her knees, when she ends her prayer. She rose early in the morning. The Bible says that's not common behavior for somebody who's depressed. She rose to worship, which you would think she would have abandoned a long time ago because there's no answers from, from the prayers that she's, she's particularly requesting. These are the requests I have, Lord, one through 10. You, you know, you can answer any, any of these and that would be a great encouragement to me. There's no answers to the prayers, but yet she's rising early in the morning. She rises to worship. Um, this was not a, a habit of somebody giving up. No way. She's vigorate, invigorated. She's revived in her spiritual worship. It's amazing. She's energized. She's refreshed. And all of that happened through her prayer. All of that happened through her prayer. Even when none of her prayers were answered. This can be a great help to believers today. So often we, we abandon, you know, the Lord and we, 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 we consider our faith to be crippled by the fact that our particular lists of prayers are not being answered. But meanwhile, God is doing a thing in our heart to, to heal us of the big things, the despair and the depression, um, the sorrow, the pain. God's dealing with those things, making us more like Jesus and not even touching our list. Folks, that's what prayer is all about. That's what we've got to discover about prayer. That's what fervent prayer is. The result of fervent prayer is always a five-letter word, faith. And most of the time, God is building faith, not even considering our list yet. Lists come later. But God's way of dealing with our circumstances is a whole lot better for us than even our lists. We've got to learn that from what Hannah's doing here and how this story unfolds. The ability to Leave the results of our prayer in God's capable hands is what faith is all about. To believe that God had heard what she had said. To have faith that God will act 
for His glory and to trust God to bring the right answer to my circumstances, exactly what's going on in this text. Whatever that answer might be, it's always going to be the best answer is where we find Hannah suddenly after her prayer life. So, mom, remember, you can still trust God when you don't have all the answers to your little prayers. He is still trustworthy. He is still trustworthy, and he is doing a great thing, building your faith. And may, may I just you know, say that, may, may that happen for you, whoever you are here today. May you discover a prayer life just like Hannah's, so fervent, the result of it being on a daily basis, time with the Lord spent, that your faith is built. Where you can rise early in the morning, you can be passionate about the Lord. Even if the particular things that you're asking for are not answered, you might be passionate for what He is doing in this world and what He is doing for you. The third point I want to make is this, Mom. Remember, you can still trust God when the cost is very high. When the cost is very high. Some read, uh, this, read this passage and they get to the part where Hannah makes the vow and they say to themselves, well, Hannah, you should never have done that. I don't know if you've read the Bible like that, but I've often read this passage and said, why on earth would you do that? You know, after all this time, you've been praying for a baby. Why would you now go and give that baby up? And not just for a season, might I just add, for life. We all, I, I, I guarantee we've all had the thought. We said, man, did you have to go that far? Couldn't you just said like, I'll serve you for two years kind of thing. Uh, work something out, you know, in your prayer, in the, in, the, in the vow that you make. But no, she makes a Nazarite vow. And she's going to hold to it, according to the text. See, Israelites would voluntarily, this is, this is interesting, voluntarily consecrate themselves to God's service for a time. That was the norm. That was what is, was expected. Voluntary, not, not expected, like as in you have to compulsory do it. But for, for it, you could choose if you want to, and then you can do it for a season. And these particular people were called Nazarites. And you can study about that in your own time. They would not cut their hair. This was a sign of their dedication to the Lord. But here, Hannah pushes this vow to the maximum extent. She, she rings this vow for everything that's in it. The vow now would be for somebody else, not for herself. Notice the details. This is for her son. Nowhere else is that found in the Bible, by the way. And this vow would be permanent, not for a season, but for the entire life. A permanent Nazarite of my son is what, he, what she was committing to. And I must say, we look back and we throw our hands and we say, Hannah, what were you thinking? I mean, that, that is a massive, extravagant kind of sacrifice. But you know what? It was the seasons of sorrow that brought her to this kind of radical place. If it wasn't for those seasons of sorrow, the, the times where she was sculpted, and that's, that's what I call this, molded mom, where she was molded, she would never have come to a place where she would have made this kind of radical commitment. Because the times of sorrow taught her a few things. I'm going to give them to you right now. Number one, the, pres- the precious value of children. She knew more than any other woman the value of the child. She knew the price tag on her offering and the extravagant nature and the expense of her vow. That's the kind of commitment she was making to the Lord. And she knew full well the cost going into this commitment. Her times of sorrow, being sculpted by sorrow, taught her that children belong to God. They're on loan to us. They're on loan to us. They do not belong to us. 
So we cannot come to God and say, God, I want you to have my children, dedicate my baby publicly, that kind of thing, you know, happens in Baptist churches. And then turn around and say, but hold on, Lord, let them just get their career all sorted out first. Let them sort become rich. Let them become famous in sport or famous in some other thing. Let them, you know, make sure that their reputation is in place. That's, let, that's a first priority before you're serving you, Lord. I know this is coming as a big challenge to moms and parents today, but it's a real application from this passage. Because we say in mouth, yeah, Lord, this is your property, but then we say, you know what, hey, Johnny, Susie, your image is more important. You need, you need to make sure that you're fashionable, that, you know, t- you've got time for that. Your abilities, you've got to hone those abilities. Become a star or take some time to chill. Be entertained by this world. Try all the places. Try all the experiences. Try all the thrills. That's rubbish. I don't find that in the Hannah story at all. Immediately, through the times of sorrow, sculpting and fashioning and preparing her for this moment, she immediately dedicates her children back to God, and she lets them go. Moms and dads, that's what parenting is about. That's what Christian parenting is about. You might wonder why it is that you have those seasons of sorrow. It's to bring you to that place where you're mature enough to evaluate the cost and still come and say, God, this is your property. You take it and use it for your glory. That leads me to our last little point I want to make of the thing that she learned in the sorrow, and that is she learned in sorrow that the greatest blessing of children is witnessing them be used for God. The greatest blessing of children is watching God use your kids for His glory and not yours. And you can bang your head a thousand times trying to, you know, milk what this world's got to to have children bring glory to you as a parent, and you will miss this blessing, I guarantee you. But the times of sorrow taught her that. So immediately, it was a no-brainer. The greatest blessing I'm going to find in my life is watching this little Samuel be used of God for his glory, and it will ultimately benefit me more than anything else. This makes the cost, the cost seem insignificant. She prepared her costly offering. And I want to just notice that. It wasn't just the vow that was the the offering. She went overboard. I mean, her toddler son is in the mix, costly as that might be. But then added to that, one one bull was was expected. One, you know, bull was expected here. And she she brings this three-year-old bull. She brings an elif of flour. And you can study all these things if you wish. A skin of wine. All of these things are put together in this very extravagant offering. And it is, it is brought before the Lord. Just her expression of complete surrender, complete dedication, giving herself and her family to God. Some have experienced this kind of cost. I want to highlight just uh, two of them. One is distance. I'm, I'm amazed by how our culture in South Africa has been affected with so much immigration over the last little while. And there are many of you here today. So I'm not going to push this too hard. But I just want to reel you in and just say that you know the cost. Some of you have let your children go, and um, there's cost involved. They're going to serve the Lord in the center of God's will somewhere else, I'm trusting. And when that happens, there's going to be cost involved to have family far away. We we feel that as a family firsthand today. Some is is in terms of welfare, where you've let your children go, and, and they've gone on to serve the Lord, and the result has not been, you know, a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. 
Have you seen how, how missionaries are treated lately? It's not a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. Serving God is extremely hard, and there's great cost involved in terms of welfare. And that has been your cost, and you bear that cost on a regular basis. I'm hoping that today will be a day that you discover the insignificant nature of that cost when compared to the joys and the blessings of watching your children serve and love the Lord. The joy of knowing that they are serving God faithfully. The peace of mind knowing that they are in God's hand and being protected by Him. The comfort of knowing that they've married a Christian. The fulfillment of knowing that their lives matter for eternity and not just for some little political season. The reward of knowing that for now, like Mark chapter 10 says, for now a hundredfold blessing. Have you read that passage? Go ahead and read it, Mom. Mark 10, 30. Therefore now a hundredfold blessing and for the future glory to come is the promise of God's word. Mom, remember, you can still trust God when all you feel is sorrow. You can still trust God when you don't have all the answers on your prayer list. God is still doing His thing. And you can still trust God when the cost is extremely high. We want to feel with you and we want to appreciate you on Mother's Day. Won't you stand with me as I pray? Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the roles that have been played by various women, the role of motherhood that has been played in the lives of so many here today. Lord, I am aware, like I prayed this morning at prayer meeting, that um, one time in Scripture, you are given motherly qualities. While you are Father God, there are qualities and attributes you possess of mothering. And so, Lord, I am just so grateful for the fact that you share that grace of yourself, your person. You give that to us to experience in the context of mothering. I think of Paul and Timothy and their conversations and how you know, influential mothers and grandmothers are. Father, I just want to give you thanks for every granny and every great-granny and mother and wife that is striving to be a godly mom. Oh God, encourage those mothers today. There might be some in the room today that don't have their own biological children and um, yet are fulfilling the same role that's described in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and elsewhere in Scripture of mothering. In every possible way, there's some others in the room that are, um, that are spiritual moms to others that are growing spiritually. They are, they are feeding and they are nurturing and they are protecting and they are guiding. And Lord, I just pray that that continuous role would be felt in the family of faith as it is felt in the biological blood family too. So Lord, I just want to pay tribute to mothers today and thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace given to us. And, uh, and pray, Lord, that consolation would be found, peace, joy, and blessing, and encouragement from a passage that we all can identify with. Lord, help us to remain fervent in our prayer and worship the deepest of sorrows, emerging ultimately, even if it be in glory only, Lord, keep us fervent in worship, 
so that we might enjoy the ultimate blessings of bliss with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Don't rush home. Grab some tea afterwards if you'd like to, and uh, let's enjoy fellowship.